Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. That's not fair, right? And you're like, no, no, he told you for hundreds of years, stop living like that. And then, and then they would, there would be this idea within their heads of when punishment came or when judgment came that they're like, I can't believe how mean God is and how cruel he is. And you're like, well, he's been giving you a heads up for hundreds of years now. Maybe you should just listen. You would have saved yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headache, but that's just not how we work. Oftentimes in life, we'll look at a situation and think that's unfair. Today, Pastor James talks about the times that Israel told God that their lives were unfair, even though they were actively disobeying God. Have you ever been put in a situation where you thought God was unfair? Sometimes it's not that God is unfair, but that you're thinking selfishly. When you think selfishly about life, you disregard all that God is telling you to do. God wants you to listen to him because he promises a life that's full of hope. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Amos chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. No, they represent God. They deliver the messages from God to you as his spokesman. We don't want to hear it. What are you saying then? You don't want to hear the prophets or you don't want to hear God. But you're cutting the valve off at the messenger, meaning it's not so much about the prophets. And they were annoyed with the prophets because they're enjoying prosperity. And they keep having these guys showing up saying, You need to turn from your sins. You need to repent. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Would you just please shut up about that? Well, who are you telling to shut up? Because the prophets speak on behalf of God. So you're telling God to shut up. In reality, they would never see it that way. They would never own up to it as that. But when you boil it down, that is what they're saying. The same thing applied for the prophets back then that applies to, well, that applied to the first century church and Christ's followers for sure when he said, listen, they're not going to, they don't hate you, they hate me. It's not you, it's me, right? That's the only time that's ever been true in all of history, right? When somebody said, it's not you, it's me, it was when Jesus said it, okay? He's like, it's not you, trust me, it's me. I'm the one that they hate, but it's, they're going to direct it towards you. And the same applied for the prophets. It's not you that they hate, it's me that they hate. Verse 13, so I will make you groan like a wagon loaded with sheaves of grain, like weighted down, just loaded down. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your young or of your fighting men, will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. He's like, oh, I'm coming to get you. I'm going to get you. And he's like, you bring your baddest, bring your biggest, bring your fastest. Israel. He's talking to Israel. He's like, but I I am going to come. Judgment's coming. This would have had, uh, and I say immediate 
prophetic fulfillment. I mean, it wasn't too long after this letter when it was written that they would be carried off into bondage. The number one for Israel, the Assyrians were gonna were going to attack them. So this would was going to come true. And in fact, historically it did come true. Now, this also could be somewhat applied to, to the day and age in which we live, where you do have Israel that is experiencing prosperity. They are experiencing prosperity. But are their eyes and are their hearts on the Lord? And the answer is no. The answer is no. So there, there is some of this to where the Lord is like, he's not done with Israel. He still has a plan. He's going to restore Israel. I mean, it's going to be beautiful and all that good stuff. But there's still, there still is correction to be made. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Let's cruise through this one. Seeing this all just goes together. Now, this is like, from here on out, we're kind of camped out in message towards Israel, okay? And I say Israel, I mean, still mean the northern tribes there. But he, he's still going to lay it out there. But now chapter three, kind of you go into three different kind of, it's Hebrew poetry is what he, he translates into. And again, this is an uneducated shepherd who's like writing a very beautiful poetic Hebrew poetic book. I mean, this thing is, it's, it's beautifully put together. And that is the Holy Spirit in and through Amos writing beautiful words. And in fact, he, he even will be singing a song. And this is a dude who's blue collar. And they're like, you can't do this. You can't write. You can't sing. You can't do all that stuff. And he's like, well, I know I can't, but he can through me. And it's amazing how the Lord can show up and give us gifts to be used for his glory. It says, listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. Remember, and, and the Lord's going to continue. You read through all these prophecy books, and the guy keeps bringing that up. He's like, remember, I saved you, right? You remember that? I rescued you? Okay, let's get, let's, let's get back to that point. It says, I, I rescued you from Egypt. Verse 2, from among all the families on the earth, I've been intimate with you alone. God's like, I've had face-to-face time with you alone, Israel. I selected you. I picked you out of all the people. I picked you. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. You're chosen. You're God's chosen people. And you're the most rebellious ones out there. You're the most rebellious. Yeah, these other nations have their list of sins, but they're not as many as you. And this, the other thing is, I chose you guys. I set you apart. That's why when judgment comes, judgment has to start within the house of God. We're not exempt from anything. If Christians are being knuckleheads, God is going to show up and say, like, I'm going to correct that behavior. Before I go deal with the world, I'm going to deal with my church. It says, verse 3, this is um, some compare and contrast kind of things here. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Well, yeah, they have to agree where they're going or they're not walking together, Right? That's, that's true. That's, that's you going to the store with your kids, right? You're like, no, wait, we're, oh, we're just, we're now where everybody's lost, right? God's saying like, no, two people, when they walk together, they've decided on a point in which a destination. Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? No. Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? No. Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? No. Right? These are all just rhetorical questions that God's walking through. Does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? No. When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? 
Yeah, because that signifies an enemy's coming, always, right? So he's just using this like common sense kind of a thing. And that's what I love about this book too, is it's just, Amos is just using common sense to bring these people back. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? No. Well, wait a minute, we don't like that. The point of that one is that Israel would know when disaster hit them that it was God who allowed it. And that's what God is, is, is saying right there. He's like, hey, just know I've been giving you guys warnings for a while. So don't be surprised when it shows up and be like, I can't believe God allowed this to happen. What would you expect? You've been living this way for so long. And then now you're like, oh, God's not fair, right? And you're like, well, no, he told you for hundreds of years, stop living like that. And then, and then they would, there would be this idea within their heads of when punishment came or when judgment came that they're like, I can't believe how mean God is and how cruel he is. And he's like, well, he's been giving you a heads up for hundreds of years now. Maybe you should just listen. You would have saved yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headache. But that's just not how we work. Verse 7, indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets, which is why you shouldn't be telling them to shut up. Okay, because they're giving you a heads up of what's to come. That's how he's talking to you, okay? I wish that guy would just shut up and stop preaching. You're like, no, maybe God's trying to tell you something. And that's not for all long-winded guys like myself for to continue on and on and on and on. But concerning the prophets, it was like, God's like, those are my vessels that I chose to use to deliver my message to you. You should listen to them because they're telling you vital things. He says, the lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord has spoken, so who can refuse to proclaim his message? Announce this to the leaders of Philistia to the, and to the great ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills of Samaria, around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. Here's the Lord is inviting the enemies of Israel to be like, watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. It says, my people have forgotten how to do right. They've forgotten how to do right. They are so corrupt, so lost, they don't even know how to do right. It's crazy how far they've gone. We're even presented with the option of like wrong and right. They're like, I don't even know what this is. This is all I've ever known, wrong. And so naturally, they just gravitate towards wrong which is really kind of a, a perfect little scenario that I think our nation is, is heading right into. It's where you'll have generations that'll be like, well, this is all we've ever known. They, they've forgotten how to do right. Says the Lord, their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses. Then he will plunder all their fortresses. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. (laughs) That's just amazing imagery there from a shepherd who probably knows exactly what he's talking about. Like He's like, God's trying to rescue you. You're the sheep. The lion's coming and God's going to try to rescue you, but it's not going to be good for you because some of you might remain, but the rest are going to get devoured, right? There might be a leg or an ear, but that's it. And there would be a remnant. 
there would, there would remain a remnant in Israel when captivity came down upon them. But you know Amos has experienced this firsthand, right? Like you understand that he's like, the Holy Spirit's using things that he knows. And he's like, yeah, remember that time you tried to grab that sheep out of that lion's mouth and you only came back with a couple of legs and an ear? He's like, yeah, that's, that's Israel, okay? That's going to be Israel. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus reclining on couches, living a life of luxury is what it's saying. Now listen to this and announce it throughout all Israel, says the Lord, the God of heaven's armies. On the very day I punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. Bethel meaning house of God. House of God, lots of altars to other gods. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall down to, or fall to the ground. I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too. This is how good it's going. They got two houses. They got a winter home and then they got their southern home. They're living it up, lounging on their couches, luxurious beds and all that good stuff. All their palaces filled with ivory, says the Lord. So here's what's going on in this northern part, and especially within Samaria, God's just like, you guys think you have it so good. You're experiencing times of prosperity, but you've forgotten me in those times of prosperity. You completely turned away from me. All that will be taken from you. This prophecy technically, literally, was fulfilled in 722 BC. We have a reference in 2 Kings 17, 6, uh, when the Assyrians came down and they captured Samaria. So it wasn't but like 30 years after this prophecy was announced that the Assyrians came down and took captive Samaria. So this is like, when Amos is throwing this out. I mean, you're talking recent, like this would be recent, you know, future events kind of a deal. This isn't hundreds of years down the road. Amos is like, you guys better be ready because this is going to happen. Chapter four, verse one, cracks me up. Oh my goodness, look at this. New Living Translation, love it. Yeah, listen to me, you fat cows. Oh, gosh. Oh, man, you know who he's talking to? The women of Samaria. Are you kidding me? Look at that guy. He's blue collar as can be. He's like, listen up, fat cows, you heifers. Um, you're like, dude, you can't say that. He's like, I just did. Um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, too, right? And you're like, wow, okay. Told you, you're going to like Amos at the end, all right? You're just going to be like, I don't know. I can't wait to meet this guy. Um, he says, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, who are always and who are always calling your husbands, bring us another drink. What this is, is, well, we have TV shows like this today. Real Housewives of you name it. This is the real heifers of Samaria, is what this is, right? Copyrighted, trademark. You can know we can use that. That's mine now. Um, that's, what, that's what Amos is calling me. He's like, and, it's, and he's directing it to these ladies who are like, they're not Proverbs 31 ladies. They're the opposite of that. They're demanding luxury, is what he's saying. They're demanding luxury and pleasure. They oppress the poor and needy, and they make all these demands upon their husbands. And that's why he's calling them out for this. They're running things in Samaria. And he's like, you're about to be taken away. 
bring us another drink. Verse two, the sovereign Lord has sworn, by, by, uh, sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall. You will be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. And here's some sarcasm that comes in. Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel, the house of God. Go ahead and make your, your sacrifices to those, those gods there at my house. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. Keep offering sacrifices each morning and bringing your tithes every three days. See, they're doing the stuff. They're practicing all the religious things. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. This is what they were doing. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do, says the sovereign Lord. See, they're playing church, but they they have no care for God at all. They have long since abandoned the word of God and any respect or reverence towards God, yet they still play the game. They still show up Sunday mornings. I'm using that as an example because that's a present example that we would understand. They still show up dressed nice for Sunday church, singing the songs, putting money in the boxes, doing all the stuff completely in rebellion against God. He doesn't acknowledge any of it. He doesn't. He doesn't receive any of it because they're not doing it for the right. This has nothing to do with their worship or adoration to God. This has everything to do with like, I just, this is who we are. This is what you're supposed to do, right? And God said, he would, he would say it in, in Micah and he says it in other places as well. He's like, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want that. What I want is you. What I want is your obedience. What I want is your reverence. What I want is your... I want your submission. And these people are like, we'll keep doing this. We're, we're, paid. we're good tithers. They tithe three times a week. Three times a week they tithe. And that doesn't even count their free will offerings. God's like, you can keep it. Because you got all that, but I don't have your hearts. Verse six of that same chapter, he says, chapter four, it says, I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. Here's, he's going to go through this list of all these things he allowed to happen, to happen to these people so that they would turn back to him. I kept the rain from falling when your crops needed it the most. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered away. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. But still you would not to return to me, says the Lord. Another way of saying that is still you would not repent. I struck your farms and vineyards with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all your, all your fig and olive trees. We remember that from Joel. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. Therefore, 
Therefore, because of all that, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. That is a hard, powerful statement. If God ever shows up in your life and he's like, prepare to meet your maker, you're, good. you're, you're not like, oh, yay, happy, yay, joy, right? You're going to be like, whoa, that sounds kind of like, yeah, it's very ominous, right? That's like doom and gloom. You're like, uh, can I miss that meeting? Is that possible? But here God is like, he's like, I try to get your attention. I did this, I did this, I did this. So that why? Because you're mean? No, because I want you to turn back to me. And you ignored me, you ignored me, you ignored me. So prepare to meet your maker. Yikes. God's like, you're my people. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. Verse 13, the last little bit of this. We'll we'll wrap this up. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirs up the winds, reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. So beautiful how Amos just wraps up that that last little portion of of this letter, so to speak, of this is who he is. You like those mountains? God made those mountains. You like that wind? God made that wind. Wind makes waves. God made those waves. Oh, you like sunrises and sunsets? They only happen because of God. They only happen because of him. He reveals his thoughts to mankind. That's amazing. That's an amazing concept that God Almighty would reveal some of his thoughts to us, make known to us what's on his mind. That's amazing. There is no other religion on this planet that, that agrees with that at all. Okay, just so you understand that. Like no other gods out there are personable gods. But the God of the Bible is. And he's like, I've been trying to communicate with you forever. I really want to share with you what's on my mind. Right? And that should change our prayer time. That should really change our prayer time from like less talking from me and more listening to him because I think he still has that like, I want to share with you, but you won't stop talking. You're like, well, my prayer life is pretty me-centric. And we always catch these little glimpses of like, what if my prayer time was to change to where I did less talking and more listening? Would he have an opportunity to share with me what's on his mind? And that, that, that is meant to be an encouragement for all of us. Have prayer time, but scale back to talking. Do more listening. Do more listening. And that's frustrating. Because if you really want to know something, you like really want to know it now. And he never delivers when I want him to. He only delivers when I need him to. Because I've been actively praying for like two weeks. I'm like, Lord, I need your thoughts on this. And it's crickets. And I'm like, well, maybe I've been talking too much. Probably. But I know at the right moment, at the right time, that happens. He's like, you want to know my thoughts on that? Here's my thought on that. Last week, you weren't ready for it. Yesterday, you weren't ready for it. Okay, Lord, when, when you know that I'm ready, I really need your thoughts on this thing. It'll change your prayer life forever. Hope to 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.